Thank you, Lenore. Our scripture text for today continues the story of how the early followers of Jesus experienced the meaning of the resurrection and wrestled with that, what that was going to mean for their lives and their community. Today's reading is from Acts 15. Now, certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the people, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem and discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers, who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees, stood up and said, it is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, people, my people, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message and the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as God did to us, and in cleansing their hearts by faith, that God has made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither us or our ancestors have been able to bear. On the contrary, we believe that they will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus, just as we are. The whole assembly kept silence and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Now listen to me. Peter has related how God first looked favorably upon the Gentiles to take from among them a people for God's own name. This agrees with the words of the prophets, as it is written, After this I will return, and I will build the dwelling of David, which has fallen from its ruins, and I will rebuild it, and I will set it up, so that all peoples may see the Lord, even the Gentiles, over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord, who has been making, making these things known from long ago. Therefore, I've reached the decision. We should not trouble the Gentiles who are turning to God, but should write to them only to abstain from those things polluted by idols and from fornication and from whatever has been strangled. For in every city, for generations past, Moses and those who proclaim him have been read aloud every Sabbath, in their gatherings. 
And then the apostles and elders, with the consent of the whole church, decided to choose representatives among their members and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. May God bless our hearing and understanding of this holy word to us today. Change is a constant in human life. But there are times, sometimes, and some eras where change happens more rapidly than others. During the Middle Ages, or parts of it, for example, there were times when it might take nearly a hundred years for a new invention developed in London to slowly make its way into the countryside and finally be adopted widely by people in villages even just a few days' journey away. Other times, change happens faster. One of my grandmothers was born in rural Ohio in 1908. In the first 10 years of her life, her family acquired their first telephone, their first car, and their first electric lights. Some sociologists argue that there are particular eras or particular times when the rate of change accelerates so rapidly that it exceeds our human capacity to adapt. Dolph Seedman comments that when the rate at which our environment changes reaches a certain velocity, it outpaces our ability to change ourselves, our leadership, our institutions, our society, and our ethical choices to respond adequately to those changes. Sociologists have a word for what we experience when the acceleration of change outpaces our ability to adapt. It's called dislocation. It's something that can happen on a large scale with a whole culture, or it can happen on smaller, more intimate scales, such as in a family or an organization. Now, something like dislocation, I think, was happening in the early church as we encounter them in our story from Acts today. If you think about it, the rate of change for their lives had accelerated a great deal. In the span of just a few years, the followers of Jesus had gone from their familiar lives and work as fishermen or farmers or tax collectors and their familiar surroundings, their families, their hometowns, to go following an itinerant rabbi named Jesus all over Galilee and Jerusalem. And just as they were getting used to that, they experienced life-threatening persecution. And then they witnessed the violent death of their leader. And just three days after that, a few of them, and then more and more of them, began experiencing the living presence of Jesus, still active, still present among them. And as they were wrestling with what that meant, the Holy Spirit arrived and propelled them out into the streets with a message and a capacity to communicate that message that they'd never experienced before in their lives. And then, just as they were getting used to that, a few of them received a revelation that this message was not only for their fellow Jews, but for Gentiles as well. And as they were scratching their heads about that, they got word that one of their bitterest enemies, Saul of Tarsus, had had a vision from God and was now working with them. 
and in fact becoming a leader in the movement to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And it was starting to look like this thing about Gentiles joining the movement was not going to be an occasional exception to the norm, but was going to become the norm. There were going to be more Gentiles than Jews in the church. In sociological terms, I think we can suggest that for that early community of disciples, the rate of change was reaching the dislocation point. The changes were coming at them faster and faster, outpacing their capacity to, as Seidman put it, change themselves, their leadership, their institutions, their ethical choices. And what happens when a group or a culture reaches that dislocation point? Conflict, polarization, clinging more tightly than ever to certain things that in the past have always marked our identity and let us know who we are and our place in the world. Dislocation can lead to a strident enforcement of the rules in an attempt to keep the encroaching chaos at bay. Dislocation can lead to blaming others in the group or society as the source of all that feels confusing or threatening. Dislocation can lead to just charging ahead with innovation without doing the serious work of prayer and discernment and ethical reflection. I think this is what was happening to that group in Jerusalem that we just read about. And there are some parts of this reading that I just love because when you read them, you just know how much restraint the author is exercising. Those first lines, then certain individuals came down from Judea. You get the very distinct feeling that everyone who first read this text knew exactly who he was talking about when he said certain individuals. And then we read, and after Barnabas and Paul had no small debate with them. Anyone who has ever experienced a serious ongoing conflict in their family or organization knows how much ground is covered in that little phrase, no small debate. I see many of you smiling and nodding. We recognize what's going on here. But not just because we're familiar with organizational conflict. I think all of us feel that jolt of recognition because we also are living in an era of dislocation. In his book, Thank You for Being Late, Thomas Friedman posits that we are living in an era in which the rate of the acceleration of change is nearly unprecedented. Friedman points to 2007, just a few months after my family and I moved here to Claremont, so not that long ago, as the year that things really began to speed up, to stretch our capacity for adaptation to the breaking point. He writes, in 2007, Steve Jobs and Apple released the first iPhone, starting the smartphone revolution that now puts internet-connected computers in the palm of everyone's hands on the whole planet. Late in 2006, Facebook, which previously had been confined to university campuses, opened itself up to anyone with an email address and a computer. Twitter was created in 2006, but really took off in 2007. In 2007, Hadoop 
The most important software you've never heard of began expanding the ability of any company to store and analyze enormous amounts of unstructured data that enabled both big data and cloud computing. The cloud really took off in 2007. In 2007, the Kindle kicked off the ebook revolution, and Google introduced the Android. In 2007, IBM started Watson, the world's first ever cognitive computer that can understand virtually every paper ever written on cancer and suggest to doctors highly accurate diagnoses and treatment options. And have you ever looked at a graph of the cost of sequencing the human genome? It went from $100 million in the early 2000s and began to fall dramatically to become affordable even to small institutions in about 2007. So if 2007 was a year of rapid acceleration, he says, we can look to the very next year to see the beginnings of some massive dislocations. The financial meltdown of 2008 that ushered in the Great Recession is one example, and the extreme reactions to the results of the presidential election of that year are another. Friedman reflects, these accelerations in technology, globalization, and mother nature are like a hurricane in which we are all being asked to dance. And now listen carefully, because what he says next, I think, is really important for the church. He writes, for me, that translates to the need to build healthy communities that are flexible enough to move with these accelerations and draw energy from them, but also provide a platform of dynamic stability for the people within them. I'll read that again. That translates to the need to build healthy communities that are flexible enough to move with these accelerations and draw energy from them, but also to provide a platform of dynamic stability for the citizens within them. Maybe, just maybe, that is what churches, who are being tossed around in this same hurricane as everybody else, are called to do and be during this time, this era. Healthy communities that are flexible enough to move with this acceleration, but also to provide a platform of dynamic stability for the people within them. And maybe this story from our distant past holds some clues to how we might do this. If we look at what the people did after that period of uh, no small debate. Keep talking. Don't be afraid of conflict, but persevere in seeking resolutions. Keep listening. Stay in relationship with those who you disagree. Seek God's guidance together. Engage in prayerful innovation and risk. Move forward down as much of the road ahead as you can see, and maybe one step beyond that. And no matter what you do, keep coming back to the table to break bread with one another and with Christ in the eye of the storm. Amen.